Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Well, welcome back, Awareness Explorers. We are really happy to have you here. And we have a special guest explorer that I'm fascinated to talk to again. I'll give you a little bit of information about Dr. Amy Lindgren. Um, the way I know Amy is uh, uh, we've been to several workshops together, uh, Vortex training and Finders course stuff, uh, which are all consciousness related. And uh, to my great fortuitous uh, luck, I ended up sitting next to her flying back from Boston to Sacramento. And Amy is one of those people who really has a remarkable story and remarkable state of consciousness. And I think you're going to be fascinated listening to her answers to our questions. When I sat next to her, we, we talked constantly for five hours. And I think we just touched the surface. So we'll see if we can make that a little bit shorter today. But first, before talking to uh, Amy, I want to say hello to Brian. How are you doing? Very well, Jonathan. I, uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I don't, I didn't know Amy before this. And Amy, I welcome to uh, Awareness Explorers. I'm so happy you're here. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, Amy is your medical doctor. Uh, you have a PhD, and and you are one of the most awakened people I've ever met. So you have many ways of making us all feel uh, greatly inferior. But um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, I have found you to be one of the most loving and awake people I've ever met. And so I want to ask you first a little bit about your background. Um, have you always been into consciousness stuff? I mean, how'd you fit that in when you were doing the medical thing, the PhD thing and everything else you do? Um, actually, it was, uh, it, there, it was mostly focusing on nerdy goals for most of uh -huh. my, my life. Uh, first, I was really into history. I was like, I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to really learn about history and just immerse myself in the Middle Ages, medieval gynecology, wow and then decided oh no let's do something a little more useful so i'm gonna start taking science classes and then kind of got drawn into going to med school because it's like oh that's a really helpful job and gosh that's really really nerdy um so it was a really intense focus on the intellect and on thinking and on figuring things out um, and trying to like kind of pierce through the veil of reality through the intellect and so spirituality was really like way off my radar, um, just because there was such the intense focus on academia and yeah. uh, kind of pushing that as far as it could go. So I think, um, yeah, I think really what's happened here is a good example of if it can happen to someone who is so into her head and so into the intellect, if that this weird awakening thing can happen here, like it's definitely available for everyone. <laughs> Someone who, is so, yes, someone who is so far on the, you know, like 
just, yeah, like piles of books and uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> superfluous degrees and all that. <laughs> Taking so many classes, so many notes, you know, sort of being in the head so strongly and having a really strong sense of self, like a sense of self, like a very happy, functional, high achieving self um, that was it was just kind of like a volcano of, of energy and positivity um, and having that drop away and just having it be so delightful, you know? So if that can happen, it can really happen to, to anyone. Well, how did that happen and what exactly did happen? <laughs> <laughs> so what happened is that um, I found myself in residency, which is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great in a lot of ways, but it's also exhausting. And it can be a very toxic environment, I think, just because there's kind of a lot of leftovers from kind of the old school way of doing things, which is sort of, you know, there's kind of abusiveness and humiliation and all that, which did not jibe very well with, you know, this nerdy, like, oh, no, we, we learn through, like, enjoyment and pleasure and love. Like, we don't learn through abuse. That makes no sense. Um, yeah. So kind of hitting a wall with that, like being physically exhausted from the hours and just the, res the exhaustion from like the resistance of the system that was made absolutely no sense. Um, sort of hitting a wall and saying like, oh, I think this ship has gone as far as it can go. Like this aiminess, it's just like, it just can't go any farther. Um, and then like, well, let's see, I've done everything I could possibly do using the intellect and using willpower what's left? Oh, just surrender. Um, and then that's kind of when the, the turning to more spiritual topics began. And it was, um, I think because it had been pushed so far, you know, gets as far mm -hmm. as it felt like it go, it actually was quite easy just to say like, Oh, just let it all drop, you know, just let it all go and just, just surrender. And then just look for what was showing up. That's interesting. You know, that's a theme you hear a lot in people who awaken is that they took something really far, usually suffering, and just, you know, I'm going to go as far as I can with whatever it is. It might be depression or intellect or, or working. And then they hit a wall, they, and then give it up and bam, some magic happens which makes me want to go for uh, a PhD right now or something. <laughs> but how long ago was it that um, this change of, of consciousness uh, happened? Well, it happened in steps. Like there was mm -hmm. the kind of surrendering, but there was still like that sense of Amy around. Mm -hmm. But then, so that was maybe... 2012, 2013, mm -hmm. um, that that kind of that surrendering started. Um, and then sort of just reading, listening to podcasts. Um, you know, Ram Das was a big, I guess he had a lot of podcasts or a lot of, um, you know, his talks. And so just kind of listening mm -hmm. to that, like the notion of, oh, there is a sense of self that can go away. There was like that, like there was the intellectual notion that that could happen, but there wasn't a belief that was really possible. Um, 
but there was with the surrendering, there was, well, let's try it and see. Um, and then, uh, it just happened that, uh, I took the finders course, I think 2015. So there had been kind of like a, you know, exploration for a couple of years and, you know, kind of living more of a surrendered life and then taking the finders course and just doing the techniques. And then perhaps six months later, at the end of 2015, uh, I was writing an email and then I looked inside and said, what do I think about this? And then I was, and then looking around for the little eye, like, wait, where did that thing go? Where did the eye go? What? <laughs> and it was sort of this disbelief of, wait, that can happen. That, that wasn't just a intellectual concept. That was, a, that's a physical sensation that the little person is gone. Um, and then, yeah, that was it. <laughs> Never came back. <laughs> Never came back. Yeah. Wow. I think maybe because there's a theory that because that sense of I was such this, you know, fireball of like optimism, positivity, can do attitude, you know, it was so energy draining for the rest of this body that once it was gone, it was so relieving that it was like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, it was like, it's like, no, thank you for leaving. <laughs> This, whatever's left can handle it. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it, I think maybe there was no, yeah, it was just so much relief that there was no need for it to come back. Did it shift into something else? I mean, when they did a different identification appear or did the eye just disappear and then no identification whatsoever? So what happened? Yeah, it was just, it was just that that little person was gone. And then it was just this body. And there was suddenly a noticing that what seemed like every molecule in the universe, including the molecules in this body, were these like shimmering, vibrating molecules of unconditional love and acceptance. And it felt like because there was no sense of a separation between this body and the other molecules in the universe, there wasn't, it felt like there was no ability to identify as like a, a me. Cause it was just like, Oh, everything's just these beautiful molecules. Everything's just love. That sounds like a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And there's a couple of things I find fascinating about your story. One is um, that you are a busy professional. You're a surgeon and you work in this state of consciousness where there's not separation. Um, what was that transition like? Because it seems a lot of people who uh, transition in the way you're describing, you know, they don't, they're not doing that much. Uh, but you are working at a high level and somehow, uh, have managed to integrate those two things. So there's the notion of the residency training, which you're the, the body and the mind 
are trained to function, to continue to function in states of extreme stress, extreme, extreme exhaustion, hunger, <laughs> sleeplessness, everything. Um, and so I think that training actually made it possible just to continue to do this job. So it's like habit. You, it was all uh, below. It was, well, it was, it was habit and you could keep on doing it without a you being that involved in it. It was the, it was the funniest thing too, because there was always the notion of like, oh yeah, you know, we've got to have that, that sense of self. It was like, oh, well, it has to stay around or else nothing can happen. You know, that's what the sense of self thought, I guess. Um, but then it turned out, nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this body just apparently knows what to do. It knows how to feed itself. Um, it, knows, it goes exercising, it sleeps, you know, and it knows how to go to work and it knows how to do the things that it needs to do at work. And it actually is a lot easier. Without the interference of ego personality thinking it's doing something. Yeah. And again, that I feel like it's important to say that, you know, there was a particularly loud sense of self here, you know, so I don't think that's necessarily applicable or needed, you know, for other bodies, mm-hmm. for other <laughs> human bodies, you know, and it's just like, just here, it just happened to be a lot easier because there wasn't that voice coming in. There wasn't that interference. And so now it's like, it's a lot easier to like focus on what's needed. Um, and I guess I should mention that there has been a lot of what uh, we can call it deconditioning, right? Like the old habits that were still there left in the body uh, or the nervous system. And just for our listeners, uh, when you when you refer to the body, you're referring to your body. But <laughs> since you don't identify so much with a you, uh, that's how you you phrase it: the body or little Amy. Um, but it, it doesn't. Uh, a lot of people might say that sounds weird to them. I understand it because I've, I've experienced that and I'm sure you have too, Brian, but really you don't have a identification with your body so much anymore. Yeah. It's, it really is not at all. It's amazing. It's just this body is running around and people call it Amy and okay, it's Amy. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's still bizarre. This is four, four years later. Mm-hmm. So bizarre. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> And then do you feel like decisions somehow get made by, by something else or by, by, or maybe the little Amy has its own mind that's not really you and it makes the decisions or, or do things just sort of happen by themselves? How do you experience it? So the interesting thing is that over the past four years, there has been kind of a progression you know, when the deconditioning, when the old patterns, when they dissolved over time, more recently, perhaps in the last year, two years, um, there's been a increased sense of being like a multi-organism. And so then... Explain to, explain to us what you mean by that term, because I've heard you used it before, and I think it's a great term, but I'm not sure what it refers to. Well, it's, it's, there's a, there's a really palpable sense of the way that this body here is connected to other bodies. So you it's know, kind of it, like, is it like 
you know, our, my hand is connected to this bigger body and it certainly doesn't feel separate from my other hand. And in that way, your body feels like a hand of a bigger body, which could be called the body of humanity. Yes, that, that's a wonderful analogy. Yes. And it's, it's fascinating. It's just paying attention and not having resistance to the input that's coming in this direction. Um, and basically it's, you know, there are invitations like, Oh, go to this vortex healing seminar. Okay. Um, Oh, you're on the clinic schedule. Okay. Oh, go to the OR. Okay. <laughs> so it's, um, there's a sense that the multi-organism makes decisions mm-hmm. and that might've always happened, but before there was a lot more resistance coming up about like, oh no, Amy has a thought, you know, this little sense of an Amy, ha- you know, she has her own opinion about <laughs> what should be happening. <laughs> but now it's more like, oh no, it's a sense of like, it's this much bigger body is having, is making the decision. And then this is a, a little hand or a toenail or something that's just going along with it. Right. And you said uh, that conditioning was dropping away. Was that something that was just happening uh, on its own as a result of the sense of self uh, dropping away? There was a suggestion that that was a helpful thing to do. Um, and then there was, um, there had been, there was sort of a mechanism that had been in place for many years before that was kind of like a, a mindfulness. It's kind of a homegrown mindfulness of just kind of noticing what was going on, like in terms of emotions, thoughts. Um, and then that mechanism kind of got converted a little bit somehow, uh, to just notice like, oh, these are behavior patterns that are arising you know, those aren't actually really useful anymore. You know, like, oh, there's this weird, you know, sensation in the chest. Oh, that's like a residual anxiety left over from all those residency experiences. Hmm, Is that really needed? No, not really. And then it would sort of just, you know, over time, it would just dissolve. Now, that's a fascinating description of how deconditioning happens. And some people who awaken don't actually look at that and they, uh, it's confusing in some gurus where they, uh, are highly awake, but they have these really harmful behavior patterns and they don't decondition them. And people are like, you know, how is it that they can still do that and awake? And it's, it's nice to hear that you were able to see those patterns and that they could fall away by themselves. Yeah. But there is a notion of, because there was the finder's course, I don't know how much your listeners are familiar with that, but then there was the sequel course, the explorer's course. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was 2016. And then taking that, um, like that was the suggestion in that course. Right. And then being in our wonderful online community, um, you know, where a lot of people are doing those practices of deconditioning, it was helpful to have that, you know, the multi-organism was deconditioning as well as this unit here <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so nowadays, do you still find that certain things trigger you or lead to negative emotions or how is it now? 
there hasn't been an experience of negative emotions in quite some time. Um, there is and, now over here, now that I hear that you don't have any, I feel a little <laughs> jealous, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I'm happy for you. <laughs> but I think that there's been also this recognition of like, there is a huge, there's still a huge residual positivity and optimism bias just because yeah. there was so much work towards, you know, like throughout maybe 30 years of life, like focusing on happiness, on optimism, positivity, you know, so that there's still a lot of that left in the system. Um, yeah. And there had been a lot of work on, you know, kind of like working through negative emotions and releasing them like before any of this happened, like that was like, even before grad school, before med school, like there was a lot of work with that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so it's, it could be why that there's not much happening now because there was a lot of work before and now that makes sense. Body's just coasting on <laughs> sitting on an inner tube <laughs> in like this big river. <laughs> well, looking up sounds, at the sun. <laughs> sounds lovely to me. <laughs> and I assume that it sounds lovely to many of our listeners too, who may be curious about how they might go about experiencing something like that. But it also occurred to me that even the question itself contains a kind of a, of a contradiction. Like, you know, is there something that the small self can do so that the small self can go away? <laughs> so there is a notion, and again, it feels like here there was a lot of, a lot of work before you know, before really becoming very serious about meditating before the finders course, um, there was a lot of work on increasing happiness, increasing positivity, letting go of anger, letting go of sadness. Um, you know, like, yeah. So tuning very strongly towards these, the positive end of the spectrum and not like pushing things down, you know, not like saying like, Oh, I'm just going to pretend I'm not angry. It's like looking at, looking at the anger and then, letting it go. So it feels like because of that, it's like the world was safe. You know, the environment was safe enough for this little sense of self to go away. Yes. So, that makes sense. Yeah. So just now basically you... work on safety. <laughs> uh huh. Any advice you would give to people on how to work on safety? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just look at things, look at what's coming up inside. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And you yeah. mentioned that you didn't push them down when emotions would come up. Yeah, you didn't. So it didn't sound like you were in the whole spiritual bypassing thing, you were really allowing the feelings to happen and, and to experience them fully. Is that is that right? Yeah, it, yeah, it was uh, noticing that um, people in my environment when I was younger, if they push down their emotions, they would tend to explode out in uh, unhealthy ways, perhaps, or less than functional ways. And so there was a realization of, oh, maybe pushing them down is not helpful. So maybe just look at them, ask if they're reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is this just the body just feels crappy today? And, you know, it's just having a reaction because it wants to find something to be mad about or, you know, like, oh, or is there a, a situation something that 
is triggering something like a sense of unfairness, sense of injustice, um, kind of really getting to know um, my own personality triggers, I guess, you know, because there's a lot of um, things about fairness, a lot of things about injustice that would be, you know, would trigger sense of anger or frustration or other sorts of negative things and just kind of working with that. Well, we live in a world in which uh, uh, the world and our political system is very generous nowadays of triggering those things. Yes, it's very, very kind. I can, I can relate. <laughs> so um, when I find myself in the latest self-righteous rant inside my head over uh, what's going on in the world and um, what my, a person like me or our listeners do with that, I certainly recognize it, but um, is there any way of being with that that helps to uh, decondition it or, uh, I don't know, something else that might be useful? Yes. The one that the, I think I have one technique. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> which all ears. Is, <laughs> which is, and it's been, it's useful because it, again, but it just, it's very maybe tuned to this system. Who knows? But it's, you know, seeing that thing that's arising, you know, seeing the trigger. Um, and like thinking, seeing it as like, it's a part, you know, it's a part that's being triggered. It, it's not a me. It's just a part of this mm -hmm. system that's being triggered. Looking at it, thanking it, saying, thank you. Thank you for showing yourself. And then just loving it. And I love that answer. That's a great answer. And I, I, I have even used that in moments. And um, yeah, that's like, uh, that's like a things dissolve in love. Yeah, because it's and I think that's the thing about the safety is that, you know, if these parts that are trying to they rise up to defend the system, right from whatever the perceived insult or threat is, just loving that part. Because then it feels like appreciated and it feels like it's safe to be released and go away. Um, and then it seems to, uh, to tune the environment, the interface, whatever you want to call it, um, mm -hmm. much more strongly towards unconditional love. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I've experienced something very similar to that. Um, when I realized that the parts of me that were creating fear or creating resistance were actually, and, and these were things that I, that I, I villainized. I said, Oh, they're bad because they're making me feel bad. And then I realized they're actually trying to protect me. Yeah. Now, why are they trying to protect me? Because they love me. Yeah. And when I started loving them back, and saying, okay, I'll listen to what you have to say. You may not have the final decision about what I do, but yes, you're welcome here. The, the, the relationship to them changes. Is that similar to what, what you're talking about? Yes, definitely. Um, and it's also, it's a wonderful thing that shows up um, with other bodies too, right? Like people mm -hmm. who are coming across as very unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> and you know who you are <laughs> well they may not i don't know because again there's like they have there's like recognizing that oh all again this is a theory but all bodies seem to have those parts those parts that rise yeah. up to defend the organism against the perceived threat whatever it is and it's and here especially 
in the past couple of years, kind of as the deconditioning has happened, there's this just this recognition of the most beautiful humanness in that, in those traits, those traits that rise up to defend us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the thing that seems to bind the bodies together, right? It's like mm-hmm. that beautiful human trait of like, oh, I got to defend the organism. I'm rising up, you know, in anger or frustration or anxiety or fear or sadness I'm defending. And it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, and so then if someone's coming up, it's like, oh, hmm, there, they seem angry. Um, it's just like, there's an ability here now to really just see, like, not see the anger as an angry person, but just see it's like their beautiful little human part, their vulnerable part. That's so sweet. Uh, and just seeing that and just like, there, it's just like love. It's like wow. this love that binds these bodies together. Beautiful. And love becomes the common denominator of all experience. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it's it just, it just, it just, oh, I don't know. It's hard to put these things into words, <laughs> I think, because they're just so, it's so, it's so beautiful and it's so surprising mm-hmm. that it's everywhere. It makes me think like, you know, in our bodies, we have parts that, you know, like antibodies that, uh, that are meant to protect our body in certain way. The germs might not feel good about the antibodies, but the antibodies are there for a reason and makes the body stronger. Yeah. 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 So we have, we all have those little parts that come up to defend. defend And we have our favorite politicians who are doing that on a bigger scale. And they, from a personal part, we might not like what they're doing, but in the bigger scheme of things, we can see that uh, that's a part of the multi-organism that is playing a useful part in perhaps humanity evolving. Perhaps. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting because at some point there was a, a flip um, in the way that was perceived. Because now it seems impossible not to see that sweet vulnerability that's at the core of every human body. Mm-hmm. Now that's the thing that shows up first, if that makes sense. And yes. so like walking around, <laughs> walking into a room, it's like, whoo, breathtaking because it's so beautiful. Um, and so then when there's behaviors that emerge, you know, it's, it's impossible not to see it as emanating from that beautiful, vulnerable core. I would wish that experience on on everyone on all of our listeners to to see that that beautiful sweet core first yeah but i think once it shows up it's hard not to see it you know it's really interesting because that was the experience here was that all of a sudden it was like some like weird shell of residual something just dropped off one day and it was like oh now it's like being walking around without clothes on it's really interesting. But then all of a sudden it was like that sweet, vulnerable core was like so visible everywhere. Whereas before it felt like, oh, that little shell that was there, like that was kind of blocking it. Ah, I see. So You know, we, we often 
can see that sweet, vulnerable core in young children and babies, you know, they might be even throwing a tantrum, but we see that there's vulnerability there. And, and, uh, and at some point we lose that, you know, it might be, uh, when the baby turns nine or 10, we start to look at them differently. And also pets are very useful that way that we, we see their sweet vulnerability. Uh, now we just have to move that to people over the age of eight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but here it was uh, that shell, that shell, I guess maybe a shell comes up or something and then that fell away. And then everyone's, everyone has that sweet baby innocence or whatever. Yeah. Effort is. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, and it's, there's, it's what also emerges or emerged was like this glow, like everyone has this glow now. It's so really astonishing. Wow. <laughs> I think it's a self-reinforcing thing, right? Where it's like, it's such a, it's astonishing and beautiful. And so then that's where the attention goes all the time. It's like, oh, that beautifulness. Oh. And so then it just keeps getting reinforced. Well, you have that glow, so I think uh, the world is more reflecting that glow in you. And I, I love how much you smile and laugh. Um, were you always somebody who was smiling and laughing a lot? I think so. There was. I remember as a young person, I was really into comedy, and I'd watch all these stand-up comedy shows, and you know, I'd always tell a lot of not necessarily jokes, but you know, funny comments and yeah, there was an enjoyment in making people laugh. So uh -huh. I think that's part of, part of the, whatever's left. Yeah. I think probably I, I'm, this body might smile more now with the, that vulnerability, like noticing that it's like, Oh, I just can't help but smile. Uh -huh. I also notice around you that when you refer to yourself in the third person, like this body or this organism, that it, has an effect on me because we look at things so personally now, you know, probably in America more than anywhere else. And just being around a person who doesn't identify so completely with their personality is a very freeing feeling. And I sometimes find myself uh, thinking in terms of Jonathan, like Jonathan says, and you do that, you know, like, there's this being who I don't know him that well. He keeps manifesting out of me. Meanwhile, I'm laying back here watching his antics. Some of them I like, some I don't. And, um, and it's a great way to be in the world because it's much more freeing than feeling like your whole value in life comes from your conditioned personality. Yeah, definitely. It's a huge difference than what was before. Because it is, and, and it feels like there is a lot more space just to watch what's coming out of this mouth. <laughs> mm -hmm. And to notice like, oh, maybe that wasn't, as the Buddhist would say, very skillful. So, oh, like somehow there's a little pop-up, make a note. <laughs> My old teacher used to say, if you can learn to watch yourself, you'll never be lacking for entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's 
fascinating. Like this body just gets up and goes for a run and it just knows what to do. And then it feeds itself breakfast and it gets on the zoom call and <laughs> it just knows. Yeah. yeah. There were so many years spent thinking that the little sense of Amy had to do all that stuff or else the body would just like, maybe just lie in a, on its back <laughs> in a lump, maybe somewhere beyond a pile of laundry or something, who knows, but. So then do you have much less of a sense of having to control everything? Because it always seemed to me that, that, that the feeling of need to control is, was, um, was the primary cause of, of, of suffering in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, the, the need to control things, definitely. Like, but that kind of, a lot of that fell away with the decision, whatever, to surrender. Ah. Right. Like, so it's been, it's been quite a number of years since that, but it, I think there were still a lot of micro, micro control issues perhaps. Um, but luckily those, those have fallen away. And now it's just really, it's like being on an adventure. Mm. So, and things just kind of come to you and you surrender to them. Or it's again, now it's not even a surrender anymore. It's just sort of like, like being on the, you know, lying on the inner tube right. in the river and it's just like, okay, kind of maybe bumping into a rock and no, oh, that's kind of fun. And you know, it gets choppy. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Any final questions, Brian, that you'd like to ask? I know uh, Amy's going to lead on a journey of a meditation, but uh, I want to see if there's anything else you might want to add. Sure, I, I'm looking forward to that. But before we do that, yeah, I am curious if there was anything that someone could have told you before this happened or something that you wish you had known um, before or that, that you would maybe say to any listeners who might be pre that sort of state of of losing the self. What, was there anything that you wish that you had heard or that you knew about? Yeah, that it's really possible. <laughs> uh, mm. <laughs> it was such a surprise that it happened. <laughs> so yeah, just the, yeah, it is, it is really possible. And it, with mindfulness, you know, of what's coming out of the mouth and the behaviors that are arising, it seems to work really well. Yeah, I've heard that before from other people that we do in this culture tend to think that this is what happens to Ramana Maharshi, but it doesn't happen to us. And yet, um, you know, partly because of this podcast and, and other things that I've done, I see that people like you and me wake up all the time yeah. and it is possible. And, um, being around people who are, invested in that this is a little plug for awareness explorers i guess um you know it seems to make it more likely to happen yes exactly yeah i think the just plant the seed that it's it's possible and it can happen and it can work really well yeah yeah lovely this has been amazing and a lot of fun and i always enjoyed uh, when we when amy and i were on this plane flight the when we landed, the woman next to us uh, said, wow, you guys talk every single second for four and a half hours. 
And, and she said, I am not sure what you're talking about, but whenever I listened, it was fascinating. And I think we could go on and on. Uh, um, our listeners are probably not on a plane. Uh, they probably have other things to do occasionally. So we'll, we'll keep it to this amount of time. But it's been a great pleasure. And um, I hear that you have a guided meditation on something called the pure conscious experience yes. that uh, involves a visual, which we will put up uh, on YouTube and, and hopefully on our Awareness Explorers page. And by looking at this picture, you can guide people into a certain experience. Yes. Well, first I'll say this has been so much fun. Thank you both. This has been awesome. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I can lead us on into pure conscious experience if we desire. Okay, so should I share the screen? Yeah, that would be a good start. Okay, so I'm going to share the screen. And go. All right. Can you guys see it? Yes. Okay, so this is Ripley. She's a very chill cat. Um, so there are three steps in invoking a pure conscious experience. And the first step is to find an object that is relaxing or invokes a sense of wonder or delight, peacefulness, whatever it is, or something that your senses are naturally drawn to. And so we can spend a few moments there are lots of little parts in this picture here. And so we can just let our eyes explore the little details in the picture. And just notice if there's any part that seems to draw your eyes. If thoughts arise, it's okay to acknowledge them and just let them go. Let them pass through. Or you can thank them and love them. And then the second step It's really to notice all the details, everything that's possible for the senses to notice about the object. Now these are just details, not stories. 
Sometimes there is a tendency to put a specific label, to make a story. But here we just let that go. So wherever your eyes are drawn, just notice the shapes, the colors, the contrast. Spend a few moments just noticing, allowing the eyes to do what they're intended to do. And if thoughts are arising, it's okay, just let them pass and return attention to the object. If there are other sensations arising, it's okay to notice those. particularly if there are positive sensations arising, such as a sense of wonder, of awe, delight, just feeling good. It's okay to sink into that. while you're sinking in. Continue to just notice the beautiful shapes and colors. Sometimes with this step, people start to notice movements. That happens with attention. Shapes start to change. Sometimes things start to look 3D. And that can invoke a sense of wonder or awe. 
And if it doesn't, that's okay too. And the third step here is to pay attention to how the senses are paying attention. While the attention is on the object, what are the eyes doing? This isn't about the story of what the eyes are doing. It's not about science. But physically, what are the sensations that the eyes are doing? What is that experience? I find that having that dual focus in that experience, that sense of wonder tends to accentuate. It expands out, it fills the space. That's when the experience of the image can change quite dramatically. Really start to seem like it's moving. It be can become geometrical. It can be like diving into a giant pool of wonder. It's quite enjoyable. So whatever sensations are arising, whatever experience is happening, just spend a few moments just noticing. All right, I'll stop sharing now. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Beautiful. How was it? I feel a little stoned right now, so it's hard to respond. <laughs> I loved it. It was wonderful. Yeah, she's a great, Ripley is a great, yes. uh, she's a great, I don't know, participant or whatever, guide. Mm-hmm. 
and for our listeners, teacher. for our listeners who are listening to this audio only, if you go to YouTube and search for Awareness Explores, you'll be able to find the video version of this, and you can see a picture of Ripley yourself. Or you could use any picture of something that you really find lovely to look at, couldn't you? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I did try to make it a little more vague so that people who couldn't see Ripley could, uh, you know, use whatever picture they wanted. So. Yes, I noticed that and, and appreciated it. <laughs> <laughs> Though, truth be known, Ripley was quite a picture there, I must admit. Uh, Wonderful. That, that cat had a lot of, of beauty to her. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> It's almost like she's in the room with us. It's so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a delight to talk to you, Amy. I think um, uh, you're an inspiration and also your way of talking about these things, I think, was contagious and just really fun to hear about your experience. And, and I was really touched by the method that you gave us that when there's a part of us that might quote, be giving us trouble, that it's, it's something to love. And, yeah. and in that it can dissolve into beingness. Yeah. And um, that's a great, a great tool uh, that we all need in this day and age. <laughs> it's my one tool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is this was so much fun. Thank you both. These great questions, great discussion. And it's so delightful that there's this podcast you guys do. It's wonderful, like bringing it to the world. It's, it's yeah. really like, oh, that sweetness is just so profound here. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. I loved it. And I'm so glad to hear that it's possible. Yes, <laughs> it is possible. <laughs> it's possible here. So it's possible everywhere. <laughs> So for our listeners out there, remember it's possible and keep exploring. Yes. <laughs> Yay. Keep exploring. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> keep exploring, everyone. Yes. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And we'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love. Guys, this was awesome, and we got to share Ripley. So yeah. Oh, d could you send me a copy of uh, that picture? Just I shall. Uh, yes. Or, um, we could just do a a uh, a, we, a picture of the screen share. Too. We could take a screenshot, but you never know if you send it to me. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm happy better to send. Quality. Do you yeah. have any pictures of yourself that you'd like us to use, or should we take a screenshot from our? Probably just take a screenshot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think Amy went away before there were a lot of selfies. So. <laughs> <laughs> of course, if a picture of you might just be open space. So, you know, it, uh, <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah. Just like a, a hat and then just. <laughs> right, right, right.